Hi there, Flow State Podcast listeners. It's your host, Monica, here. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to share one of the amazing reviews that we've received on the podcast. If you have yet to review the podcast, but you've been listening and it's been helpful, or if you're loving today's episode, please do head over to the podcast listening app of your choice and rate and review this podcast. Our goal here is to reach as many people as possible with this information that we believe should be available to everyone. And by leaving your review, you are helping us reach that goal of reaching more people. So without further ado, let's tune in to a review that we received recently. So this review says a must listen podcast. I feel empowered listening to this podcast. Both Monica and Nora do an excellent job at educating listeners about different topics revolving menstrual health and making us feel a part of a community. I've already started taking action to heal my hormones. I look forward to Mondays to listen to the new episode. Thank you so much for leaving this review. It means so freaking much to us. We cannot thank you enough. As always, I also just wanted to share a reminder that any information that is shared on this podcast is not direct medical advice. If you are experiencing something that is out of the norm or you feel like needs medical attention, please do talk to your individual care provider as they will be the best person to be able to assist you as they know your body. Thank you so much. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the Flow State Podcast. We are your hosts, Monica Groni and Nora Candido. So excited for today's episode. We have a special guest on with us, and we will let her introduce herself here. Hello, everyone. I'm Mandy Rother, also known as the PMDD Dietitian. Yeah, I'm so excited to have Mandy on today. Mandy is one of the Morea Medical Advisors alongside Nora. And Mandy and I connected on PMDD because it is obviously, as I've talked about before on the podcast, something that I experience and something that Mandy not only specializes in, but that she has also had a lot of experience herself with. So Mandy, do you want to maybe just share a little bit about your experience, your diagnosis with PMDD and how that kind of led you from being an RD into being an RD that focuses on PMDD? Yeah, I was reflecting on like my PMDD story. And I feel like, you know, when you're on podcasts, you're talking with clients about it. I was like, you know, I started likening it to different ex-boyfriends of the past. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Of like, I feel like the way PMDD has showed up in my life has been like, let's say this like volatile relationship that you just want to forget about. And then sometimes it's been a more subdued like challenge and it's just showed up in different parts of my life in different ways. And I think, you know, for me, I was diagnosed pretty early on, like back in college in my early 20s. And at that time it was... You know, I feel like I was like that type A, high achiever, everything at 150%. And then all of a sudden my world would fall apart and it would be like self-hatred, doubting myself, doubting my choices, doubting my actual boyfriends and relationships at that time. 
And then all of a sudden I'd be back on top of my game and, you know, it would repeat over and over again. And so, you know, at that time, my story is probably like a lot of the listeners where it was a bunch of different medications, antidepressants and SSRIs, different types of birth control and standard treatments. And then you know, I was left feeling like kind of out of options, like feeling worse. And those things would help initially. I'd get some relief and kind of, you know, feel like everything was back on track. And then the benefits would kind of wane over time and I'd be left feeling like, okay, what's next? What do I try? Went out of standard treatments. And that was during my time where I, it was probably even before I decided to be a dietitian. And then even as I became a dietitian and was working as one, I still felt like I was kind of left to just conventional medicine and standard options. And then I hit, you know, everyone has their rock bottom moment in like early in my career where everything just kind of crashed and I had to take medical leave due to PMDD and probably more so like anxiety and depression combined with PMDD and this, you know, the perfect storm of things. And that is when I actually started studying the functional medicine side of nutrition and became really passionate about that. And it was my own experience finally finding after like, you know, decades of like searching for answers of like finding this more comprehensive model that actually not just like dug me out of that place, but I actually felt like I was, you know, thriving and able to live with some of these cyclical changes and reduce the symptoms overall. So that just led to almost like an obsession with studying all of this and digging in. And I worked as a dietitian in other capacities for many, many years after that. And it was just in the last few years that I've been primarily focused in working with clients, like pretty much primarily with PMDD and then other conditions too. So it's morphed over time as I've dug deeper and deeper into it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I have so many questions off of that. But first, I just want to share with our audience for anyone listening who is like, what the heck is PMDD? Yes. So PMDD is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And really a good question to ask because even, you know, doctors or health practitioners sometimes aren't familiar with it and awareness is really growing. And so, you know, I know, Monica, you've shared a bit on the podcast about your journey with it, but a lot of times people will refer to it like PMS on steroids or severe PMS, but it's really quite different. The causes, like the physiological underlying causes are very different. It's actually a like a hormone-based cellular disorder in the brain with a lot of research behind it. And there's both the psychological symptoms, not just the physical symptoms of PMS. So really kind of a big difference that differentiates the two. Yeah. And one of the things that I feel like to me stood out the most when I was learning about it is that you can have PMS and PMDD and like your hormones can be quote unquote in balance, which we've talked about before. It's just like a ratio. It's not a real balance, whatever. And you can still have PMDD. So it's more of like a sensitivity even to normal hormone fluctuation. Is that kind of on point? Yes. And there can be both things happening at once. And a lot of times, or some people will even talk about that it's caused by hormonal imbalance, which isn't really correct. But I do see time and time again that they can coexist. Someone can say, let's say have a thyroid-based hormone issue, or they could have PCOS also happening with PMDD, but that doesn't mean it's the direct cause. It's likely exacerbating it. So the normal hormonal fluctuations that happen throughout the entire menstrual cycle, and that's from like your period bleed until you bleed again, the hormones are going up and down the levels of estrogen and progesterone. And that shifts, you know, some of the metabolites that can be created, impact the brain. And there's shifts in brain chemicals, and it's the 
person's brain with that has PMDD that's really sensitive to those hormone fluctuations. So the hormones don't necessarily have to be off for that to happen. And does the brain play a role in PMS as well? Or is it primarily just those who experience PMDD? I think it's at a just a much different level. So like with PMS or in the menstrual cycle overall, there's let's say these little little roller coaster ride of estrogen. And as that estrogen goes down, so do our brain chemicals that also need to be in balance with one another. Things like serotonin that make us feel calm and at peace, balanced, dopamine, which is like our reward, pleasure hormone. Those things go down as estrogen go down. And I think of estrogen as like the accommodating kind of nicey nice hormone that as that goes down sometimes so do some of those emotions and that level of resilience so there can be and should be shifts where at times we may feel more social more outgoing and times where we're going to feel a little bit more withdrawn in whether someone has PMS or not that's supposed to happen where we feel a bit different throughout the cycle but in PMDD it's a whole different ball game and there can be genetic influences and other things that create that perfect storm that happens but it's set a whole nother level of impact on someone's life and the debilitating symptoms that can come out from it so rather than feeling let's say a little bit irritable which could happen with PMS it could be like major interpersonal conflict or rage or anger, or it can come out as depression, super low self-esteem. Even for a lot of people, they can experience really intrusive, like scary thoughts and kind of this thought spiral and even suicidal ideation can happen with it. So there's quite a, a big difference, I would say. I'm curious in receiving your diagnosis on the earlier side, which is awesome, like what were some things that you were even expressing to your provider and how were they like, oh, this is absolutely PMDD. And I'm wondering what getting that diagnosis, do you feel like it changed your outlook or your treatment options or your perspective on things? What did that look like? Yeah, you know, actually came from the outside. You know, my mom was, she like came to expect like a call, you know, certain times of the month of like, mm. oh, she's doing fine. She's doing fine. Okay, here's my phone call. Like, I want to leave college, like nothing's right. And so, you know, she helped me identify the cyclical pattern. And then it was, you know, I'm so grateful for this, the psychologist at my college that helped me identify like what was going on. And I even looking back, I'm like, oh, I wonder if, you know, my mom experienced this, there can be can kind of run in families. But I think the diagnosis at that time, like being so young, I think there was a degree of relief knowing, but also like hopelessness of like, it felt like a pretty heavy thing to sort through. Like, oh, this isn't just something I'm going through right now. This is a diagnosis. And it had a feeling of like permanence of like, oh, I'm going to be struggling with this for a long time. So I think it took me a while to sort through of like what that actually meant. And I see that with a lot of my clients too, where they receive the diagnosis and either, you know, kind of one of two things happens, either they hear it and it's like, it feels kind of like I was saying this like big thing of like, where do I start? This feels so heavy. It can feel hopeless. Or they go right into like problem solving mode of like, let me do a deep dive on the internet and learn everything I can. And both can feel really, really overwhelming. So like, if you know, if anyone's at that point of like, 
trying to get diagnosed or recently diagnosed, I just encourage you to like take a minute, <laughs> like, you know, pause and like just let it settle and just like acknowledge the weight of that and sometimes the pain of that and what you've been experiencing. And also to experience some of the relief too of like, sometimes we rush right past of like, oh, there's like one in 20 people who have periods are experiencing this, you know, that you're not alone in that, there's a name for that. And so sometimes we just want to jump to the next step where just kind of sitting with it for a little bit, you know, if I could go back, I probably would have told myself that at that young age. Yeah, I want to dive in a little bit more into that like diagnosis process for anyone listening that you'd said, you know, is going through that right now. But I really quickly wanted to ask on your experience, you'd said that, you know, you'd been experiencing some of the, uh, the emotional side, your mom obviously noticed it. Had you had any prior diagnosis of something that wasn't PMDD? or that, you know, you've continued to experience alongside PMDD on the mood side, like anxiety, depression, you know, a lot of people I hear me personally, I thought I was bipolar, there's a lot of obviously mood disorders that can kind of live alongside it, or that you can think that you had. And in reality, what you're experiencing is PMDD. Was that there for you at all? Yeah, I think at that point, if I remember, like I already had a diagnosis of depression and anxiety. And so it was like, okay, why does it all of a sudden get worse? And it sounds like once you know, you're like, oh, why didn't I like recognize that before? And then I think for me, even at that point when I went on birth control, and this isn't the case for everyone, you know, for some people, birth control can be effective. For me, it made things worse. And then it wasn't, you know, cyclical symptoms. I just felt depressed all the time, like zombie, you know, and it intensified things. But yeah, I did have the coexisting conditions at the same time. And that the term for that is it's PME, premenstrual exacerbation, and super, super common. And it's not just depression, anxiety that can coexist with PMDD. There's super common. And I hope that research continues to develop on this ADHD, borderline personality disorder, bipolar, you know, addiction, lots of different things can coexist. So super common that there's not just one thing going on. And even later in my early 20s, I received a diagnosis of PCOS. And I think, you know, that was actually, in my opinion, and from what I noticed with my like labs before and after the birth control I was on at that time was driven by the birth control I was on that was like creating that hormonal situation for me, but that really intensified my symptoms too. So sometimes it's like a mixed soup of like other things going on with like a shared like kind of, you know, root cause of what's driving that. Yeah, thanks for digging into that. I think oftentimes I know for me, like I don't really experience the anxiety or depression symptoms other than just before my period, which, you know, was just kind of crazy to have that realization and be like, oh, like I am not depressed, you know, 30 days out of the month. It's really just this like time period just before my period that I get really, really low. And for me, the diagnosis was definitely like relief in a way. And it was a starting point. So I think it's different for everyone, but it is really interesting how there can be coexisting things or, you know, even misdiagnosis or like misdiagnosis by yourself. You know, I went screaming to my doctor that I was bipolar. So... (laughs) Well, and I will say too, my experience, like I said, it's like different boyfriends of the past has been different at different times. So before when I had PMDD in like my earlier 20s, it felt like a very like low, dark depression. And for me personally, I would experience like really scary thoughts that felt like they came out of nowhere. 
a sense of isolation of like, oh my gosh, I don't even want to get out of bed. And then, you know, there were shifts in my health, sometimes, you know, things surrounding pregnancy or other hormonal shifts where I had other experiences of PMDD where it was more of the heightened type of like the irritability, the rage, that just like feeling of like inner tension. And so those are like two very different experiences of the same condition, you know, and for me, because I work in this field, I can identify like, oh, like there were other things that shifted in my physiology that were creating these different symptoms. But I think that's important to know with all the different life stages we go through, you know, for someone, for example, with whether it's puberty, if it starts that early for someone, pregnancies and breastfeeding, and then even in the perimenopausal years, their experience of the same condition can really change. And those symptoms can actually give us really helpful information on like, okay, what do we do about it then? It can give us some clues of like what's happening as far as like potential root factors. And is that true as well that, you know, someone who didn't have this in their 20s could maybe have a hormonal change, like having a child, and then when they get their period back, all of a sudden they are experiencing maybe what is PMDD? Is that something that can happen? 100%. Yeah. I've seen just in the people I work with, I've seen pregnancy for some people act as a bit of a reset. Of course, like during pregnancy, you're not ovulating, your hormones are stable, a lot of people feel great during pregnancy. And there can be a lot of fear of what's going to happen after if they've already been experiencing it before. And I think, you know, I've seen some people where they get some relief after pregnancy and like this hormonal reset in their body. And for some people it can get worse, or it can pop up, like you said, after a pregnancy. And that's where it's really important to look at, you know, for me, I bring in a lot of like blood work and lab data to determine like, okay, what created that shift? You know, is there anything else we need to uncover that's happening as well that why your body and brain are doing that at this point? Yeah, super interesting. So it can kind of go either way. It can pop up, it can maybe like diminish or I feel like it's an uncontrollable thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Although we can find control. So maybe that was the wrong message, but (laughs) (laughs) rewind. Yes. Just to add another layer, like I'll see even throughout the year, people seasonally will have a different experience of the condition where let's say if they also have seasonal affective disorder or SAD or the winter blues, you know, they might have a different experience of their PMDD symptoms than in the summer or, you know, with allergies, for example, allergy season, I'll see sometimes a a heightened increase in some of the more irritability, anxious components of PMDD related to the histamine connection, which is a whole big topic. But so even throughout the year, there can be changes within a given person too. So that's where it's really important to just know yourself, know your body and know your cycles. So you can start to put those pieces together. Yeah, I'm so glad you touched on that, especially this time of year. I know where I live, it's dark out way, way more this time of year. And like seasonal change is so real. I'm super happy that you said that. I'm sitting with my sun lamp, looking out at the snow before we hopped on (laughs) our recording. Is there a tracker, Mandy, that you really like to use with your clients? Something that like you can check in on your mood every day and where you are in your cycle or for people that you know, they haven't even thought that this could be a possibility until they're hearing some of these signs and symptoms in this episode today. Like, where do you even recommend that people start? Or if they want to go and have a conversation with their provider, like, do they need to be bringing evidence? Like, what are some of those conversations looking like with your clients? 
Yeah, good question. And so to receive a diagnosis, if someone's at that point, the doctor or the OB or the psychiatrist will require two months of cycle tracking to look at those patterns. And getting a diagnosis can be surprisingly like elusive. And just for people to know, they're not alone if they're in that place where someone will come like, I think I have PMDD or my provider told me I probably likely maybe have PMDD, but they like didn't put it in my chart. Super common, you know, and there's a lot of things that play into that but so if that's you you're not alone and even if that diagnosis has been a bit elusive that doesn't mean you can't start taking action and I do think that first action is is tracking cycles whether to receive a diagnosis or just to learn more about your body and your cycles and so there's a lot of tracking options and what I find with my clients is sometimes they feel a bit overwhelmed by all the options like do I track my basal body temperature, do I use an app, do I not use an app and so I created one that is simplified <laughs> and so you know I recommend you know choosing just a, a handful of primary symptoms the ones that impact you the most and it could be for example a mix of the mental emotional symptoms you know maybe your top ones are you know rage and anger depression and you know self-criticism for example and then even some of the physical symptoms that can happen oftentimes with you know breast tenderness and things like that but choosing the ones that have the biggest impact and then rating the severity because I think when you know the severity and how that's changing not just like did I have the symptom or not you know actually if the things that you're doing and taking action on are making a dent or if they're leading to a shift in those symptoms so I like to track like what are we changing the symptoms and the severity like side by side and that way we know like what's working what do you keep doing what's not working what do we you know toss to the side it's so we can prioritize other action steps I think it's really helpful for people too to reflect because you live with yourself every single day. And if you have positive or negative shifts in either direction, it's hard to remember where you started if you're not keeping track. So especially when it comes to mood things, or, you know, for me, it's a lot of digestive things for people. And they often say, didn't realize how good I was feeling until I had an episode or something. So when we start to track things, this information, it's a data point for me. But it also acts as this living journal so you can look back and say, wow, I'm so much better than I was a month ago, six months ago, a year ago, and have that kind of baseline information. I, I see it so powerful. Yeah, that's such a good point. Like when you're in the thick of it, and even if you're moving in the right direction, it can be sometimes hard to actually feel that and to know that without looking back or even to remember like how it used to be like it's almost like a degree of amnesia like you don't even want to remember that and then I think on the other side in which I'm sure will be talked about a lot on this podcast is there can be some really beneficial and positive shifts throughout the cycle and so I also encourage the people I work with to check in on some of those things like not just thinking about symptoms but what are the sensations in my body that are shifting what are the emotional shifts when do I feel creative and productive when do I feel more playful when do I feel more confident and sexy those sorts of things and that way the cycle and you know these changes aren't the enemy it's like oh wow I'm this like kind of fluid, you know, person that I change. I'm this cyclical person that I'm not the same every day. And we learn how to harness that. And that's where I really see there's just like this inner shift that happens with people with PMDD or just people 
with periods in general of like, oh, this isn't something to be that I dread. I actually look forward to like, um, I was, I think I told you about this, Monica, when I breastfeeding twins, but I had my period back. And before my period was back, I was like, I kind of miss my period, <laughs> which would sound crazy, like to someone suffering from PMDD, knowing that I have a history of that. But I missed the little reminders to like stop and pause and reflect of having this almost like inner compass of like, when do I feel like going out dancing? When do I feel like staying home? So I think that's important too with tracking to bring some of those things back in. A nice reminder too for you to say for us to take note of the positives and the negatives because those positives are also huge data points when we're cycle tracking. Like if our sex drive is higher or we are feeling more outgoing or more creative, those are all signals of different phases of our cycle as well. So when we are kind of tracking our symptoms, you know, I think a lot of times we think about tracking the negatives, but the positives are just as much data points as the negatives. So if you aren't someone who's been tracking your cycle and you think that you're experiencing PMDD, some of those positives can also help you pinpoint if the negatives are uh, correlated with that luteal phase of your cycle. So I feel like that was like a really good call out, Mandy, for you to just have that reminder to people that it's not all about the negatives. And when we see the whole picture, the positives, the ups and the downs, we really get much more in tune with the seasonal beings that we are every month. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing is it helps you keep a pulse on that diagnosis doesn't become your identity. Like you're so much more than these symptoms. And, you know, Nora, like with your specialty in digestion, maybe you see this too of like when someone just so desperately wants to feel better and, you know, the digestive symptoms or PMDD symptoms or whatever it may be are just plaguing them every day. Sometimes that feels like all you can see becomes all you are. You're focusing on getting rid of that thing. And so just to be able to touch into all these different factors assets of who you are and see that on paper or in an app or whatever you're using, I think is powerful too. I know for me for a while, I got lost in the diagnosis feeling like kind of consumed by it that like, it was just something wrong with me. I was broken and it was like never going to go away like in those younger years. And so I became really passionate about helping people just like kind of stay grounded in who they are with and in addition to the diagnosis. Yeah, it really applies to so much. I'm even sitting here thinking like as someone who's trying to conceive, you like start to think like, oh, it didn't happen again this month. Like something's wrong with me. And it's like, you know, we focus on the thing that we want or the change that we want. And it just like becomes the sticky point. So to be able to see beyond that and the other sides of it, I think super, super important. Okay, so I want to kind of move, you talked about people tracking and bringing some of that data to their doctors, tracking as they're kind of making changes in that sense. But what if someone's in a position where they go to their doctor and they're like, I think I have PMDD, here's the data that I have. And, you know, a lot of traditional doctors, and maybe you can just touch on this, like, don't fully understand PMDD. Maybe they don't have a lot of tools in their toolbox. And I feel like the first option that they give a lot of people, and this is probably because, you know, research has shown that Yaz, a type of birth control, is the only birth control that is, I don't know, certified, what approved for PMDD. They kind of just like, that's the tool they have. And so they give people Yaz and say, like, this is what's going to help you. Like, what options do people have at that point to kind of make a change that maybe isn't that or should they try birth control? Like, I know you can't really tell people what they should or shouldn't do, but what are your thoughts on that next step? Yeah, I would say like for someone 
let's say preparing for that type of appointment, doing some reflection before, or even if you're there or it's already happened, giving yourself the right and the space to have take time with that decision so you can make an informed choice because there are other options. And that's often what happens of, you know, there's SSRIs, so a type of antidepressant and birth control. And those are your two options. And if those haven't worked, like good luck. And so like, you know, I think for me, some of my passion is driven from opening up the doors to more options so people have more choice. And so, like I said, just, you know, being really grounded in that right that you don't have to. And I've had many, many clients, they take the prescription because they're not sure. And then they wait to take it or, you know, keep the conversation going with their doctor. And it's, of course, a really personal decision that should be made with someone's primary care physician or their OB. But I think just to know that there are other things that you can do or sometimes it's a combined approach and you know even though I work in this functional medicine world and you know holistic world I'm not the type to say like medications don't have a place they have a place and for some people they work and some people need that and the other stuff and so it's really finding that that path for you and knowing that there's always more doors to open and explore and I think what happens often is it's like single problem, like single diagnosis. And this is just how Western medicine works. And here's your single solution and like, hope it works. You know, as a child, for example, I had severe reflux and it was like, okay, you have acid reflux. Here's your antacid and like stand it for a decade. Whoops. And Nora, I know that's like making you cringe. But our bodies are not that simple and PMDD can be complex. And so we need a multifaceted approach, a more holistic approach, whether someone chooses birth control or meds or not. I so agree with that. The conversation that I like to have with clients is that it can be a bridge. It doesn't have to be the solution. Like it's a tool. And if that just relieves some of the pressure and allows you to focus your energy and your efforts elsewhere to really address the underlying issues, like if your mood is feeling better, maybe you feel like moving your body more and maybe it helps to improve your sleep and your relationships and all of those things. I call it an upward spiral. Like it's going to create this positive compounding effect and that can free up the energy and the space for us to then do the deep work and dig and treat the underlying thing and incorporate more of those supportive habits that maybe in the future you feel comfortable enough coming off of those tools. I think it can be really helpful. Yeah, I've had two conversations just this week, like the exact conversation with a couple clients, you know, this hard decision of like, do I do that? And when someone's really, really suffering, sometimes you do need that little leg up to be able to to have the capacity to do the other components of healing. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's just knowing and that's where tracking again is important to say, okay, if I'm making this decision, did it help? Did I feel better after let's say starting birth control? Did anything get worse? And that way that you know what's playing a role and how things are shifting. I think on the, you know, patient side, being the non-practitioner in the room, like, I feel like, you know, we hear these conversations around, like, medication isn't the only option. And Mandy, you touched on the functional side of things and how, you know, there are other options. And maybe, Nora, I love how you said that the medication can maybe be the bridge and allow you the space to work on the other things. But I think the other things, I'm air quoting for anyone not watching, It's just such a gray area that then you get overwhelmed. And a lot of times your OB or your primary care doctor can't necessarily help you with the other things because that's not their zone of genius. You know, they also just don't have the time to work with patients individually on these functional, nutritional, other things. So for someone feeling like, 
I want to do the other things, but I don't know what they are or where to start or how. And it is intimidating to think about working with a dietitian or a practitioner who's not covered by my health insurance. Like, I'm just kind of curious, what are some of the tools or things people can do who are like, I want the other things, but I'm confused. Yeah, such a good question. And I think there's so much information out there. There's so many different options that it can feel paralyzing. And a lot of times people start like we were talking about that deep internet dive and all of a sudden they're reading about all these different nutrition things and that conflicts and which supplements to take and then or do I do acupuncture or do I need to start therapy or a different therapist? And I don't know if that's kind of what you experienced, Monica, but it's like, where do I start? Like what's gonna help? And I just encourage like anyone feeling in that place to just again, like pause and just re-establish that trust with yourself that oftentimes we know or we will find that next step. And there's so many options, like I said, you know, sometimes it is the nutritional piece and finding the way of eating that's really supportive of your health and bringing in supplements strategically with that. Sometimes it is, you know, meditation and yoga and mind-body movement or acupuncture. And so, like I said, just kind of pause and ask yourself, like, what do I need right now? And with the only goal being like, what is my next like baby step with that? And I see this time and time, even if someone's identified, like I wanna do this whole functional approach, we still have to take it really, really slow. And so when you're in the height of symptoms, like having really realistic and graceful expectations of yourself of like just any tiny baby step, and that might be just like, I'm gonna go outside every day. I'm gonna go for a walk and reconnect with something that brings me joy and hope. And so there's a lot of different places to start. And we've talked a lot about tracking today. I think as you're tracking and getting to know yourself and your body and your cycles, identifying like, what do I need? I think is the next piece with that. And then creating your team of support. And that may look different for different people. You know, for some people, they need to start with therapy. And for other people, they need to start with on the functional side or, you know, even going to a yoga studio or whatever it may be. But just starting really, really small, like tiny, I think is the best approach. Yeah, I'm curious if you would share maybe like it sounded like you started with a therapist in college. That's how you got your diagnosis. And you tried birth control and SSRIs. But on the more functional other things side, what were some of the first steps that you took that you really felt like you noticed a difference with? Yeah, for me, it was gathering data to figure out what I needed, you know, some lab testing. And I realized that I had mentioned like I was on the digestive related medications for years. And I think that combined with my digestive issues and maybe my genetics, I was super depleted in certain nutrients and I was active. I was playing sports in college and exercising quite a bit and just stressed to the max, like working and all the things. I think I was just super depleted with nutrients. And so I think for For me, it was the start was optimizing that and giving myself the nutrients I needed both from food and supplementing wisely. And oftentimes, even just changing your diet can feel like a huge, we're talking about one thing of the many things and that it can be such a huge piece of the puzzle. And of course, all of us here are passionate about the nutrition side, but That's where I do think when we're talking about that bridge or that leg up, where even just starting a really, really high quality multivitamin can be a game changer. It's not going to be, you know, a magic 
pill or anything like that or an overnight cure. But when I started to realize like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to feel. Like this is how I feel when I have enough nutrients in my body. This is how I feel when I, you know, for me, I um, actually was able to identify some foods that were contributing to my digestive issues. And then also the mind body connection of how much stress was impacting my digestion. Those were some of like the very first steps where I'm like, okay, I should feel like in my body and it gave me enough capacity and, and even energy, like actual physical energy to keep doing some other things. But that was the foundation for me. Yeah, I can relate to so much of that. I mean, it's why Maria exists today is that nutrition was the bridge for me, like starting to supplement and supplement, you know, high quality, the right forms, the right levels was really the thing that allowed me the space to heal like as a whole. And I think my biggest fear with putting a supplement out into the world has been that people are going to think that it is this magic fix. And it's like a single, you know, piece approach. And that we're saying like, this is going to fix you. And in the long run, it's like, no, it's just like, it has this ability to let you see how you can feel and then give you the space to take other steps as well. So it's just a piece of the puzzle, but one for me that was like the piece. And it sounds like for you, it was one of those initial pieces as well. So that's really cool to hear. Yeah. And and I think with, you know, in the functional medicine world and Nora, maybe you would agree. I think sometimes the danger with that is people want to jump to the like the most complex thing. You know, we brought up histamine, for example, before we'll talk about that, hopefully in another episode. But you know, let's say we want to jump to like, okay, this is a histamine intolerance thing. Well, guess what, that starts with nutrients and making sure you have the nutrients that you need to actually control the histamine situation and make the enzymes that break it down. And so all this stuff connects. And I see this a lot with supplements, someone will be taking mood enhancing supplements, which can be very effective, and sometimes they'll bring those in like people will take St. John's Ward or 5-HTP or specific amino acids, they can be game changers. But if you do that without nutrients, your brain and your body can't do with those things what they're supposed to. So we really have to start at the foundational level. Otherwise, anything you do won't be effective. Another thing I'll hear is that someone will, let's say, take out dairy which can also be effective. But if you do that and you do nothing else, you're going to be like, well, this dairy-free life is not super fun and it's not going to get you as complete of relief if you haven't done the foundational things of, you know, let's say eating enough. Under eating, I find is super common or irregular eating patterns and then optimizing nutrients. Anything else you do beyond that is not going to be as effective long-term. Yeah, I can attest to the eating enough thing. I just started like tracking protein and just getting enough protein, it means I'm eating more calories. And it's like, literally game changing for like, just my mood and like brain fog and not feeling like a total like loop de roller coaster all day. So the calories thing is real. (laughs) I would say number one or two that I do with clients of like balancing your plate, figuring out like how often you should eat and eating enough. Huge. I think a big thing for me is that the other things are taking this more holistic approach. It is super individualized. And instead of just trial and error, working with somebody like Mandy, like this is your specialty. If you are in this world day in and day out and you know these things, that is going to help somebody feel so much more confident about their journey and having trust in a provider that 
you've had the experience yourself, you know what has worked for others, you can help them to find those tools that are going to move the dial for them. But I think, you know, everything in nutrition, but is super individualized. And I think that's why it might also be hard when you go to a provider and it's like, here are some other things. It's not just the one thing. And I think it's not the one thing for everybody. So finding those things that work for you (laughs) and solve your personal puzzle is really the key. Yeah. And I think, gosh, I want to share a pet peeve of mine. (laughs) I think I sometimes I'll get a new client and they're filling out their intake forms. And obviously they're seeing me because what they've tried already hasn't worked. They're still suffering. And I'll get a list of like 20 supplements. Maybe some of you are thinking about like the buckets and buckets of supplements. And it could even be from another provider. And I'll ask like, so tell me about like your plan and what you've tried already. And they'll just send me the list of supplements and I'll be like, is that it? Like no other changes, no mind body connection or even diet changes. And so I think just be aware of that. You know, even here with Monica as the founder of Morea, like supplements have a role, but they can't be used alone. So I think that is like my professional pet peeve. But I've also found like, so I'm someone who kind of, you know, science nerd, I love to do everything as individualized as possible. And at the same time, I think there are foundational pieces that like help everyone. Like we all just kind of like lit up about eating enough and blood sugar balance. Like, you know, those are the things where, you know, making sure we can do that. But even in that, that might be different for each person of like, you know, someone could benefit from intermittent fasting while someone else is that's going to just wreck their hormones and wreck their mood. And we have to align it with our lives and our daily schedule. So even the things that are foundational, we got to get that support and figure out how to individualize them to make them actually happen in real life. Yeah, so important. Such a good reminder. So I really want to dig into the histamine side of things and genetics. And I think we're going to do that in another episode because there is enough to cover just on those things as it like relates to PMDD on its own. So we're going to have Mandy back and talk about those things. So stay tuned for that. But I'd love to kind of just wrap up today, Mandy, with a little lightning round, which I didn't prepare you for. So hopefully, (laughs) hopefully we can fire these off and you have some answers for us. But this is something that I like to do with our guests, just so people can get to know you a little bit. And they're kind of fun. But okay, feeling ready? Is those videos that people post on social media where they like follow a celebrity around their house and ask them questions? (laughs) I haven't seen those, so I don't know, but (laughs) no. Okay. Question number one, what is your favorite way to de-stress? Going in my sauna. Oh, what? That sounds amazing. (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. I thought you were going to say salsa dancing, but. (laughs) That too, that too, but I only like feel like I'm in the mood to do that these days in my like mom life like once a month. (laughs) (laughs) I used to dance every day, but that's not happening anymore. (laughs) Is there a book that has changed your life? Ooh, I think for me, it's just reading in general. Like I have like an insane amount of books that I can't stop buying. I buy more books than I can read. And so I'm like obsessed with murder mystery novels. And so that's my favorite thing to do in my luteal phase of like escape and like read. And then I also have all my like science, functional nutrition books. So I think just being able to both escape in a book and learn from a book. Sounds like maybe a little form of self-care. Yes. Love that. Okay, last question is, what is your favorite meal to cook? Ooh, 
I love like Mediterranean food. I used to live in the Middle East for like, a, I lived there for a year. I love the food. So, and my husband is Mexican, so I eat a lot of Mexican food. So it feels like it contrasts that and I get to have something different. So sometimes I'll go and buy new spices and try to replicate and make something that I, you know, tried there. It sounds delicious. Amazing. Well, Mandy, thank you so much for joining us today. How can our listeners find you and how could they potentially work with you if they're interested? Yeah. So my website, you can put in, in your show notes, but it's revealfunctionalnutrition.com. But if you just Google my name, Mandy Rother and PMDD, you'll find me <laughs> very easily. And I work both one-on-one -on -one with people on that highly individualized level and also with groups or sometimes a hybrid of the two. And something that I've become really passionate about is creating communities around this because we shouldn't be doing this alone. We were never meant to do it alone. So yeah, that's how you find me. Awesome. Thanks, Mandy. We are so happy that you joined us. And for anyone listening today, if you found this episode helpful or you enjoyed listening, make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you get notified when new episodes go live and feel free to leave us a review. We love reading your reviews. Thank you, Mandy. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.